All right, Zig coming in on the top. Today on the show, we have Aaron Lange, author, artist, and co-founder of Stone Church Press. Aaron has just released his first book called Ain't It Fun, Peter Loeffner and Protopunk in the Secret City. It's a brilliant book with a staggering amount of research and a keen attention to detail in stunning art. It's a graphic novel retelling of the history of Cleveland and the history of Peter Loeffner. Now, if you do not know who Peter Loeffner is, Peter Loeffner was a co-founder of one of the most influential and important bands from Cleveland, Perubu, which started from Rocket of the Tombs. Now, Rocket of the Tombs broke up into two bands, Perubu and the Dead Boys, both of which had an immeasurable impact, none of that being possible without Peter. And sadly, Peter passed away at 24. Aaron does an incredible job of capturing the essence of Cleveland, the essence of Peter, in a wholehearted, well-researched, and exciting package. Now, this is Aaron's first book, and it's 444 pages, right? This is a dense read. It bounces everywhere, and it tips the hat at so much that was going on, both with the punk rock history and the city's history. So, for reoccurring listeners... And new listeners, welcome. Uh, I've, I've, I was entranced with Peter's story before doing a bunch of research whilst getting ready to talk to Richard Lloyd from television. So if you're a fan of any of these bands we mentioned during this conversation uh, and want to know different uh, first-hand account stories of Peter, you might want to check out some of these other interviews. Um, a few of those being David Thomas, uh, Richard Lloyd, Adele Berté, Robert Kidney from the Numbers Band, Chris Butler, and not a first-hand account, but a, a fan of Peter Loeffner, David J. from Bauhaus. So if any of those sound interesting, look in the podcast, uh, my back catalog. Those came out within the last few years. So being well aware of who Peter was, when I saw Aaron's book, I picked it up in Coventry. I was blown away. I'm looking at this thick, 444-page graphic novel of... Peter's life, and it was super excited, and picked it up and blasted through that book. I'm really excited to share this conversation with Aaron, with you guys, but before that, there's one thing I gotta make sure you guys know about, and that is December 17th at the Beachland Ballroom, they are doing a book release. Hosted by John Skirtick from the Cleveland Public Library, it will feature um, Aaron and his partner at Stone Church Press, uh, Jake Kelly for some interviews, and then they're going to spin some tunes from Cleveland classic punk rock, and it's going to be a super fun night. And if you guys are not doing anything on the 17th of December, make your way to the Beachland Ballroom. Also, December 9th at the Gronk Shop, Stone Church Press will be vending at the Gronk Shop's Jingle Bell Holiday Shop, where you can catch Aaron there as well at one point. All right, now let's get to this conversation. If you dig what you hear, if you can like, rate, review, subscribe to the podcast and any of the podcast platforms, that helps me keep talking to cool guests like Aaron and sharing their insights with you. Now, without further ado, here's my conversation with Aaron. And I started tracing this line with Peter's story. And like when I saw your book, I'm like, oh my God, this is, this is the thing I was trying to do with people that knew him, but way, like way better done. <laughs> so I was so stoked <laughs> to find it, man. Um... But yeah, so I guess the the kind of jump into it. How do you come? Or are you a musician? I'm not. I'm not a musician. Okay. Because like Peter's like story is like it's very particular and it's kind of like it's not easy to find stuff about. And you like this is a really in depth, well researched read. Um, How did you come across Peter's story then? 
Sure. Like I do, you know, I started listening to Peri, Perubu when I was like a senior in high school, though I didn't really know Peter's name. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I don't think I started to hear Peter's name until uh, Rocket from the Tomb was reformed in the early 2000s. And um, when they, you know, Smogville released uh, all those uh, recordings. And I saw them play in Columbus. Uh, I was living down there at the time. And you'd kind of hear Peter's name mentioned in like hushed tones. He was sort of talked about in this kind of like urban legend kind of way. And I'd always had a sort of vague interest in, you know, the electric eels and what had gone on in Cleveland. And uh, as the years went by, I'd just kind of hear more or learn more. It was always just something I kind of kept in my pocket is like, oh, this is something I'm interested in. Uh, but that kind of just started snowballing and I got more and more interested and Peter just kind of seems like a nexus point to it all. I don't necessarily argue that he's like, was more talented or, uh, than anyone else in the scene, but he, or that he was less. That's, I'm not a musician, like I said, so it's not for me to kind of provide that sort of critical analysis, but Peter was just this kind of, uh, he just bopped around so much and he had so much energy. He's, you know, he's going up to Detroit, uh, Sylvester Bangs and the cream offices. And he's going over to, to New York, Max's Kansas city and CBGB's. He lived in Akron for a while and he just fucking knew everybody. Yeah. And just had so many different bands and so many different styles that he, and he lived all over Cleveland on the East side, on the West side and the suburbs, you know, that he just to talk about Peter, he was a very good um, device for talking about the entire city and the entire kind of underground. Yeah. Yeah, you know, definitely. Like, because I didn't, like, I, I was familiar with some of his bands, like, but, like, I, I, I could not find, like, I don't even know how you were able to trace that story so clearly because, like, finding, like, all the stuff, I couldn't, like, like, I, I read Adele Berté's book, Peter and the Wolves, and, like, of course. Yeah, that's a great book. Yeah, like of course you get the big the big bands like uh, the Rocket from the Tombs and Perubu and like and then the Wolves and like but there was like the Cinderella Backstreet and there's all these like bands that are just like crumbling and you know what I mean like and the, maybe it was like how like explosive he was like in in his own kind of self destruction but like but all that sparked so much and like I think the first, actually the first time I came across his name was I talked with Richard Lloyd. And like Peter Lofner came up, and then that whole like rabbit trail started for me. And I tried to I tried to scratch at the surface, but I could not find like I I don't know how you got this. Was this all like through like reading his articles, talking to people? Like how are you able to put together this history? Well, um, yeah, there's I mean there's like kind of like a variety of sources, um, and I, I I tried to be pretty clear about my sources in the end notes. So you did like. like I reading through like I was like when when you got back to me I was like oh man now I got to really power through this book and like I got to the end notes and I started to read some of those today and they are very detailed so I don't want to like say that I couldn't follow that I just didn't get time to dive into that sure sure but yeah so there's some kind of like primary documents when it comes to Peter and I think the original primary document was his ex-wife's uh, essay, Those Were Different Times, which ran the uh, local fanzine Clee. And that's not, not just about Peter, but also just kind of like um, 
mirrors and just like kind of just very early what was happening. Um, and there were various like other fanzine articles and uh, probably the most detailed overview you could find anywhere of uh, the early Cleveland punk scene would be in From the Velvets to the Voidoids by Clinton Halen, which talks about Peter and Electric Eels and Mirrors and all that. And it's probably the most thorough writing on the subject, but the book that said, the book's focus is mostly on New York and what was going on in New York, but the book does peel off and uh, talk about Cleveland, which tells you something that the book only talks about really Cleveland in New York because there really wasn't a punk scene happening anywhere else at that time. Now you could talk about certain bands like Simply Saucer over in Ontario, for example, but they were kind of isolated and what was going on in Detroit was a little still like more rooted in the 60s you know like the Stooges and the MC5 and all that um so Clinton's book is a major source um then there's all the research that the people at Smogvale did which is not entirely represented in their Peter Lochner box set um those guys have done other articles and other unpublished things and um you know, and then just like Peter's own writings, because Peter was always peppering in autobiographical details of his own writings, some of which are available in that Smogvale book. Others I found through uh, various archives at uh, Cleveland State University or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And sometimes it's not even a, that interesting of an article or it's not a, that interesting of a subject. But like I said, Peter could just, he would just throw in weird details. Like, you're like, oh, this reminded me of seeing David Bowie at Public Hall. And you're like, okay, so he was there. You know, that's good to know. That's like, you did an incredible job of tracing that story. Like, so here, okay, so I'll give you, I'll give you another example. Cause there's little bits and pieces just like everywhere. Yeah. So there's a part in the book where there's like a very brief anecdote, like one page about Bruce Springsteen coming to town right. and Peter Lochner like getting him a ride like around the city and Springsteen kind of realizes like, oh, this guy's fucking wasted. That comes from a different Clinton Halen book, which I haven't even read, um, about Bruce Springsteen. It's just a book about Springsteen and there's one little bit in there about him coming to Cleveland and encountering Peter Lochner. And I think I just stumbled on that page via like a Google search. And I was like, okay, well, here's a, you know, here's a cool story. And, you know, if you're looking for information on Peter Lochner, you, your first, the first place you look would definitely not be a Bruce Springsteen book. Right. Um, oh, other, some other interesting stuff comes from John Gorman's book. John Gorman ran um, the Buzzard radio station. Yeah. And he tells like the anecdotes about like uh, Peter interacting with Lou Reed. So, you know, a lot of this stuff's out there. It's just very like spread out and very like disparate sources. So I was kind of trying to like aggregate some of that. And then if I was confused or something was like, didn't make sense or was contradicted by another statement, I would try to like reach out to certain people and ask them like, Hey, you know, do you remember this? Can you clarify this? And, um, so I did some, I did do some interviews as well. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's incredibly well done. And to tie it in with, like, the history of the city is a really interesting, like, perspective to take on that. I know you brought that up earlier in our chat. But, like, 
like the 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 length of like what a like kind of like great tragic figure to tie Cleveland to. Um like as far as like diving into like the architecture, is that something you did via this study or is that something you were interested in and started to see like similarities too? You know, the architecture stuff kind of, um, I worked on this project so long that I kind of changed as a person and my interests grew. And so like what was part of perhaps my original vision for the book was separate from what it ended up being. And I just started trying to think about, you know, place more and like geography I'd been started reading more like uh, British writers like Ian Sinclair, who um, the, the British have a real knack for tapping into that. And um, I kind of stole some of the ideas and thinking of these like uh, British writers because they haven't really been applied to comics and they haven't, they definitely have not been applied to Cleveland. So, you know, um, you know, if you're going to steal, steal from the best. Right. Well, it was interesting because, like, reading that, I started to look at the city differently. I was like, oh, my God, this is like you, – you get in your head, like, with just how the times have changed and how these buildings have been the same. Like, halfway through reading this, I went to uh, I went to Max Bax to buy a, a book on um, uh, Levy's poetry. And, like, I saw the, that you had the uh, – in the notes in the back that the, the, the poster was still there. And I've seen that poster forever. And like, didn't know uh, Da's story, um, but it's like it's a really interesting like with uh, the Gravity Point or Gravity Falls, like uh, Gravity Place, Gravity Place, like looking at it in that lens. Like now, was that is that is that, is that kind of something that through these uh, British authors that kind of like il- like illuminated to you, or was that something like like I guess with that point in particular how it spreads out and follows the um, the solstices? Um, I, I I guess my question is with with that was that is that something just completely different from this, or is that something you found through influence of these British authors? Well, the British never, you know, they haven't talked about Cleveland. Yeah, um, well, yeah, clearly. But I mean, like, as far as, like, looking at, like, this point and seeing how it's built and, like, I guess the theological and, like, philosophical thoughts of map planning or floor plans like that. City planning, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, I, how do I answer that? Um, you know, I just started, tight, like, kind of, like, just, like, blindly, like, Googling shit, just, like psychogeography cleveland ley lines cleveland like solstice cleveland and just kind of just going on these it's just on hunches it's just like typing in search words and this guy um had uh written something up about gravity plays and kind of like he's the guy that sort of like discovered so to speak that it does in fact align with the solstices and you know it's like reading his web page and i'm like you know, he's getting into like the golden ratio and all this shit. And I was like, I just need to meet with this guy and like go there, go to this spot and talk with him. And that kind of got like delayed because there was COVID. And then like, then there was like all the um, um, unrest in the city, you know, um, what, what year was that? Uh, but yeah, so like downtown was just like shut down. So yeah. like, you know, meeting this guy just kept getting delayed and delayed, but then, you know, I went down there with him and uh, stood at the spot. And it's like, oh, even though a lot of the streets are gone and it's changed, you can definitely see when you're standing there that it's a radial design. And, um, yeah, he said just by being there, he was able to – he had a hunch that it lined up with the solstices and he got old maps and uh, 
like kind of just started charting it and he was like well son of a bitch you know they were uh, they were doing something here now why did they do it i don't know because they didn't actually talk about it in any known historical record it could have simply been a decorative neoclassical uh pastiche they were doing you know yeah. i'm not suggesting that these uh city founders were like some pagan cult you know this isn't uh i'm not trying to do some sort of like uh illuminati da vinci code thing um but at the same time this is there and it does line up with the solstices what you know whatever their reasons were and i just think that's worth meditating on for sure no like like i'm saying reading this book like maybe like look at the whole city different you know i've lived here for my whole life and like and like it, it figures like peter loftner and perubu guys and just like the kind of like like we look at these punk scenes and all this community that's grown elsewhere. And like, it's really it's like, I guess really inspiring to know that it happens here. Right. But then the like backstep that journey and like, see all this stuff in a different way. Like I, it's like, like that's, what's so cool about this book is it's not just Peter's story, but it's like all these like twists and turns, like in like, and uh, I don't want to say it's like David Thomas philosophy kind of like, uh, but that whole like um, Cleveland's hot hook into it, like kind of reading that quote and then bouncing back to like this weird layout that it happens to do that. Like I don't, it really illuminates that point and makes you like, like whoa, we were on to something. Yeah, that particular quote is uh, actually from the local poet Kristen Van from when oh. she was writing up writing about David Thomas. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Um, but yeah, a lot of the things David Thomas said and continues to say in his lyrics and interviews and his various kind of indescribable writings, uh, actually like are very similar to the psychogeographical writings from England. Though I've never heard David Thomas use the term psychogeography specifically. His thinking is very much in that vein, as was D.A. Levy's. And here and there, you would also get it from Peter, though he never like fully articulated it. The thing with Peter is he died so young uh, that he never fully developed. Yeah. Um, but who knows what he would have, uh, what what path he would have continued down had he lived just only you know let's say two or three years longer. You know he could have gotten a lot done. But uh, yeah, David Thomas speaks of the city in very kind of romantic and mystical terms, as did Levy. Uh, Mike Hudson did to a certain point as well. And, you know, I mean, these guys are just so quotable. That's why I didn't even need to try to talk to David Thomas. There's so much stuff on the record that I can kind of cherry pick from, you know, maybe, maybe David would be furious about it, but, um, have you talked to David? Yeah, yeah. I got to chat with him. He, uh, he, I, there's no telling with that guy, man. <laughs> like <laughs> the thing is he's got such a notorious reputation for like, being a difficult interview but he also seems to say yes to all interviews yeah it's interesting <laughs> but he doesn't want to talk about peter like he's he's been incredibly clear about that so it's like you know i'm just not even going to try he's he's made it abundantly he couldn't make it more clear that he doesn't want to talk about that so yeah. it's like okay you know fair enough and um same with peter's ex-wife charlotte who i know she she doesn't do interviews she doesn't want to talk about peter but if I ever needed just something kind of like confirmed or clarified, I could occasionally ask her a question. Okay. Um, but I could never like really sit down with a tape recorder with her. Yeah. Well, I got to imagine like 
like with how manic of a guy he was, that would be kind of a hard thing to revisit for her. Um, yes. Uh, but that's cool that it was arm's length that if, you know, if he needed direction, that's like, uh, and Dave Thomas, when I talked with him, like he, he talked with me a little bit, I didn't press it too hard, you know, but, uh, like I, and I didn't know the whole, like that, I don't know, there was a thing like that was that against it, like, or he was that uh, appalled by it, but he talked to me a little bit about it. I'll send it to you. Um, and like, yeah, I'd like to listen to that. He, for the most part, it was a pretty, it was a pretty, uh, nice interview. There was one point where he's like, I'm hungry. Are we done? <laughs> like, okay. <laughs> Incredible. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like the man, he, he respects intelligence and he wants, he just doesn't want to be asked the same questions over and oh, over for again. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And he doesn't like doing, I don't, or maybe he does like doing the typical promote the new record or tour thing. I could say he does it. He'd be like, what are you talking about? I only do records to promote the new tours and records. You know, I don't, he's just, he, I mean, Lou Reed was difficult too, but yeah. um, uh, but often these difficult guys can be the most interesting. Oh, for sure. Oh, for, and that's part of that's part of why. Like, I think they're difficult, and like in those situations when you're giving someone your time, you kind of want to be, uh, you want to be pretty. You don't want to be like, well, I think ice cream is, you know, or whatever, you know, nonsense. You want to really kind of focus in on what, how, especially with the Peru album. There's so much like going on in there, theoretically or thematically. So like to hone in on why do you guys sound weird or who knows what, you know, like reporter questions. Yeah. I can see how easy it would be to push <laughs> those buttons. <laughs> Uh, Perubu is just such a great band, you know, and um, I don't even have all their records because they just have such a gigantic, intimidating body of work. Yeah. And that's what's so great about them is that you're not like, okay, I'm done here. There's like always new stuff to check out, especially when you factor in like bootlegs and all the live records. And I'm always hearing new things when I when I listen to them. And like, like how you're saying like, just because I, I, I dove in when I was getting ready to talk with him, I listened to everything, and that was like the most overwhelming experience I've ever done. Everything that's like impossible. Well, I, mean, I didn't do all the live stuff, but like all the studio albums. That's and, still a lot. I know, and like my brain was not working right. <laughs> like it's so much stuff, but like, and in their website, I saw in the back of the book you quoted uh, or you you pulled from the their website, which is super super in depth and like. Yeah, I feel like they changed it around a bit since I was like last like trolling it, trawling it for uh, information. Um, but I haven't, yeah, I haven't looked at it too closely in a while. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, David's just done so many interviews and um, you know, kind of like almost releases these like these manifestos about like like I he's just always like like I don't know like the interband dynamics. He's like, well, here's our policies. <laughs> I don't know yeah. why he's letting anybody else know, but. Uh, um, yeah, he's, uh, do you have any of his books, like the book of hieroglyphs? That's an interesting book. I don't, but like that one does seem really interesting, especially after reading your book. Like, um, I, I didn't get a chance to do that. I went through all the records and my brain was already altered. Like before, before it was like time to chat with him. And then I, it always, there's, there's always so much more to dive into. Um, but I haven't, have you read it? Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay. it's, it's a source for sure in okay, the book. Okay. I quote from it. Yeah, no, I haven't read that one yet, but like, I definitely want to. Anyway, I guess uh, on the sideline of that, so like, with like, as far as like the comic medium, have you, did you start off writing or did you start off as a writing for a comic medium? Um, 
I so, yeah, I, as a younger person, I focused on uh, drawing, okay. and I just kind of like wrote my own stuff, you know, uh, like gags and like shorter stuff. Uh, but I started kind of writing more and more. People would say like, hey, you know, you're a good writer. And at some point, I kind of like gave myself permission to start thinking of myself as a writer um, and started kind of taking it more seriously. It actually started, uh, you know, with this book, you know, having like a fully formed script that I was typing as opposed to like working from uh, messy notebooks in longhand and uh, ending up with bad grammar and spelling errors <laughs> and, uh, and, you know, a multitude of other youthful uh, errors. So um, does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay. So, like, when you dove into, like, this, because this is your first book, but, like, when did, like, um, Stone Church, like, um, was that, like, a product? Was that a byproduct to get this book out? or um, Not was, really. Okay. Um so my friend Jake Kelly and I, Jake's another local artist, uh, we were just kind of, I don't know, shooting the shit and kind of decided to start a small press. And, you know, I thought it'd be just like a good way to put out our smaller books, like our mini comics and whatnot. And since we were, had a name and, uh, you know, uh, presenting ourselves as a publishing company that we would occasionally put out smaller books by other people as well. And with the idea, I wanted to, uh, you know, I had an agent in New York and everything. I wanted to sell uh, Ain't It Fun to a larger publisher. And it just wasn't happening. Um, I could have found a smaller publisher, but at that point, we'd kind of worked out some kinks and had uh, Stone Church up and running. And it's like, well, I'm a smaller publisher, so why would I give it to another smaller publisher? Let's just do it ourselves. And we've kind of been learning as we go. And uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, we have to do all sorts of shit we don't want to do, like <laughs> get a fucking accountant and yeah. fulfill orders and deal with emails and blah, blah, blah. But um, yeah. Well, it's you know, most... it would have been, nice been nice to have uh, some larger publisher write me a check and worry about all that. But you know, they can just then not promote the book and or make outrageous editorial demands. And it's just like, fuck it. This, we can do it exactly the way we want it. And, uh, you know, succeed or fail entirely. Um, you know, we have no one to blame but ourselves or no one to be proud of but ourselves. You know, it's a complete, completely independent effort. Well, that's what makes it so like DIY punk rock. It's the Ian Mackay. It's the Peter Loftner. That's what makes it even more badass. Is it's coming from the source, you know? And like at the same time, we try to you know we're not really presenting ourselves as DIY. We're trying to present ourselves as professionals. You know, we hired uh, a professional book designer, Ron Kretsch, who's worked for Smogvale Records. He does a lot of work for Feral House. Uh, we got you know proper offset printing. Um, you know, we, we try to do everything legit. Yeah. Well, no, by no means is is the DIY like aesthetic and like, oh, it looks like they stapled to the, that's not that's not at all what I mean. I like just mean the oh, spirit I was just, of I, it. I was yeah, just yeah. clarifying. Yeah. But yeah, it's for just, the listeners. Point, I mean, at what point am I not doing it by myself? You know? <laughs> it's like when do I when do I graduate from a <laughs> DIY to whatever I just kind of it's you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, I totally I totally know what you mean. Like and no one's ever going to do it for me. <laughs> and the, 
Well, and and part of I honestly I think that's like that's a huge lesson like I've learned like doing music, like all the people you meet and all the you know, like bills you play with when you open for the bigger band or whatever. When it comes down to it, it's gonna be you that you know what I mean no one like they might call you back. <laughs> Chances are not much, but you know what I mean. And there's just like so there's so many things you can't like just like look up on the internet yeah you like google like where to get a book printed or like how to sell a book uh, you'll get a lot of a lot of things will come up but it's all like designed to appeal to like a an individual who's trying to self-publish their like self-help book yeah or their like fan fiction dystopia ya novel and it's just like it's not it's you know it's all like put on demand and like it's just not it it's not real advice. It's advice for amateurs. So it's just like, all right, well, let me call people I know. It's like, let me message people I know who run small presses, know about printers and know about distributors and know about shipping and just like get boring, hard facts and advice from like people with experience. And more often than not, they're always more than happy <clears throat> to help because they did the same thing when they were starting out. It's so it's, kind of uh, a fraternity of, you know, we, we pass along this information to each other and um, because it's, it's not, there's no other way to get this information. Right, right, right. Well, and that's, that's the whole, like, I mean, kind of going back to DA Levy is like um, printing press he did by himself. Like, you know what I mean? Like, or though, even though that was much more DIY effort, but just like the, there's like a spirit, I think of within Cleveland's like, make it happen and even i think you you brought it up multiple times from a uh, peter lofner's radio interviews about do it yourself yeah and like um and like even though we're going back this is reaching out to other people to make it like a not that aesthetic but that that whole philosophy of making it happen on your own and reaching out and picking up the pen and making it happen do your own accord is such an impactful thing and like i guess like for me kind of reading through this kind of like really made me feel good that we have that here you know i think it's i think it was prescient that peter said do it yourself uh on the radio because i unless i'm mistaken i don't believe that that was like a sort of established slogan yeah. or or motto you know so the fact that he said that then that became such a sort of uh short manifesto of you know I'm not saying that the term caught on because of Peter, not not in the slightest. I think it's more of a coincidence. Yeah. But it was it was pre, it was prescient, and um, you know, I th it was very important to me to to include that. No, definitely, because like, well, it, it kind of it shows like how even though like it wasn't like an established thing or way of thinking or like, but like ahead of the time, this dude was like. You know, like bringing all the all these punk rockers to Cleveland from all these different places, but also like within that thinking. And like it was also interesting to see like the kind of rise and fall of different musical stylings within him, like to the Bob Dylan phase, then to the um, what was his last band? Um, not the Wolves. Uh, Fraction? Friction. 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 To like the Friction, like in yeah, but like um to see that kind of wave of an artist, I think it's, it's much more kind of common now, but like, you know, like, you know, a guy who, when he goes through his folk phase, you're like, Oh, okay. <laughs> like, 
Sure, but, sure, yeah. But yeah, it was just like in such a short life that he had so yeah. many phases. And like, but it wasn't like he had totally abandoned them. Like, there's definitely some of that singer songwriter folk stuff present uh, in Friction. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I, I think is Friction on the box set? Yeah. Uh, okay, okay. Because like, it was all on Spotify for a while. Um, now I got to pick up, I got to pick up the vinyl. <laughs> Yeah, Friction Friction was definitely one of his major projects. And I would argue that um, out of the projects he led, which is to say projects without David Thomas, that Friction was his most important and, and successful. Uh, the Friction just had a very unique sound, even though he was kind of like drawing from television. Uh, I mean, everyone is drawing from something and has influences. Friction, Friction's just got this mood about them. Like, I don't remember. Uh, Dear Richard, okay. the cover of Calvary Cross. Um, and then there's, you know, there's stuff that hasn't been released. Like, you know, I've got, you know, I've got stuff that no one's heard. I don't say that to brag. Um, yeah. It's just like, yeah. you know, part of my, my research, I just tried to find everything I could. And there's like, there's a lot of good stuff out there that nobody's heard. I mean, maybe it's like recorded really terribly, um, but it's still interesting. Was it well? Yeah, for sure, and especially when you're when you're weaving this story and you're reading about these these times and these places and like these events, and then like then to kind of get a little bit more of a, a grasp of it, you know what I mean? Like to like get an actual like something that proves what that was like, or you know, reading a review of it to like put it to life. Um, how did was that through kind of talking with people, or was that through like going through like libraries or like? How do you stumble upon those unheard recordings? Um, through the grapevine. I okay. mean, you, you look at like just basically like where the CDR bootlegs were coming from back in the day. Mm -hmm. Okay, so just uh, person. It was a backdoor deal. Let's just okay. leave it at that. All right, all right. I don't care. Perfect. <laughs> That's awesome. Like, cause when I when I first like listen to his stuff, his acoustic stuff really resonated with me. And I was like, like reading him and reading about the wolves and hearing like this punk rock guy. Right. And then when I was able to find something that wasn't like, you know, the Parobu or like, cause I, I don't think, uh, is the rocket from the tombs? Is there any recordings with Peter? It's just, it's all the stuff post, right? No, no, no. The recordings are with him. Oh, okay. They, so they did a, when they got back together, they went to the studio and they did proper, so to speak, studio recordings of all the songs with, with Richard Lloyd on Peter's uh, position. Right, right, right. But, but yeah, there's plenty of recordings of, um, like live of Peter with Rocket from the Tombs. Oh, okay, okay. But like, He's not singing on all the songs because they were like such a multi-faced group, but... Um, yeah, you can get uh, Peter singing amphetamine, singing Ain't It Fun. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff. Okay, me, yeah, yeah. But like, what really resonated with me with like with the, was his like acoustic tracks and like his songwriting really stuck out and like brought this guy to life for me in a different way. Um, now, like, so when you were diving in, I guess into his music, was it like? Did you, I would be interested to know your kind of journey with it. Was it through like kind of like diving from Perubu and into tracks like that? Or did you like just dive into like this, like, I guess, what was your approach with it? So, yeah, I discovered Perubu when I was like a senior in high school. 
and I liked them. I liked the I liked the early singles. And I remember when I was like 19, I bought their first album, and I'd like listen to it when I was on acid. And uh, I just like thought they were cool. And um, then Rock of the Tombs got back together, and I saw them play, and I was like, man, these guys are fucking cool. Oh, when they got back together, I'd never heard of them. I was just like, but they were getting a lot of press, and it was like, oh, this band split off and like created the Dead Boys in Peru. And I was like, well, that sounds fucking cool. So I went to check them out, and uh, you know, thought it was great. And then <clears throat> a couple of years later, I was living in Philadelphia. And uh, my friend, my friend Gabe sent me a burnt CD of uh, Take the Guitar Player for uh, for a Ride, that uh, collection yeah. of Peter stuff from the 90s, which uh, was and is uh, very out of print and very expensive. I was like, oh, cool, you know, thanks. Thanks for sending this to me. And I had this, you know, kind of vague idea in my mind of what it would be. And so I was pretty surprised when I started listening to it. And it was very acoustic very singer songwriter i was almost disappointed uh but then i gave it more time and i kept listening to it i was like this is kind of cool um <clears throat> and there and there is like peter did do some like rowdier more punk sounding recordings but like i was just saying not everything's been heard or released but uh poke around on youtube there's some stuff uh on there that like has got very very few views or listens or uh, whatever and um stuff that's not been released in any other capacity so there's some obscure gems floating out there for anyone willing to poke around gal love youtube <laughs> yeah a whole but... bunch of stuff went up not too long ago uh it was just like i just like where the fuck did this come from like uh just like some of his covers and um the self-released album peter did as a teenager yeah um that's all on YouTube. That's called, um, what's it called? Notes on a cocktail napkin. It's not very good, yeah. but it's, it's available. Right. But, but also to kind of like hear that, like, uh, like I, did you like, did you find that as well? Or is that later? Like, Oh shit, here's this now. Uh, I, I had, uh, I had a boot like, okay. It. He had a boot. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's like, cause his journey for me was started there and it was completely different from when I was reading. Um, I guess because Adele's book's really good. That was kind of my focal point for understanding and like, but like Adele's book is fantastic, but it's a memoir, you right, know, of her of her story, you know, right? Her story, and she knew Peter like later in his life, and yeah, it's a memoir. I think it's a great piece of writing. I think oh, it's yeah. a fantastic book. Well, definitely that did hook and sinkered me in to the the whole the whole narrative. Um, yeah, it's it's I put it up there with like Patty Smith's book. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's very, it's very literary, you know? I mean, like, well, it just, it really made these, like, this, uh, these characters seem real. And I remember buying it from Max Bax and reading, like, thinking, oh, is this where they would hang out? You know, this is a bookstore on Coventry. I don't know. Like, um, but... I think it, it was Coventry Books, I think, might have been where they were hanging out. Okay. In my mind, I like to think it was there, because that's where I got all... That's where I bought your book. Well, you, uh, ask, you know, you could ask Suzanne. She might know. Yeah. I don't know when she opened up or if she's always been the owner. I really don't know her that well, but, um, but yeah, I was just over there the other day. Actually, I signed some of the copies for her. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. It was funny. Like I bought that book and then I went back the other day to get some of DA's poetry and then stopped in the big fun next door or the big fun pop-up. I don't, mm -hmm. I can't remember what they're calling it, but like, uh, and your books were in there and this lady was telling someone coming through about the, uh, the thinker statue right in front of Cleveland. 
and or the Cleveland Art Museum and like how it you know it was bombed and like and then I go home and I'm like I gotta read this book I gotta get through it and then it was on that page and I was like whoa <laughs> <laughs> it was a crazy like uh circumstance with that but like but and that guy I felt really bad that guy was like oh cool and I'm like that's such a sick story <laughs> like <laughs> um the other thing I found fascinating too was the uh Robert Lockwood Jr. story um like I've known I knew he was like related to uh um Robert Johnson but like not that, by blood but yeah yeah but the whole like that was Peter's last recording and like him stumbling on there like that was a that's crazy with Robert Johnson on the recording, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you know, how can I not talk about that? It's like, well, he records Robert Johnson and he brushed so brushed shoulders with uh, a guy with a very direct link to uh, to Robert Johnson, you know, yeah, it's, it's such a crazy circumstance and predicament. Um, but I, I, um, sorry, sorry if I'm all over the place today. I'm trying to zoom in. It's in an the all other. over the place book. <laughs> it is, it is, man. It's so good. Um, maybe th like one other thing I wanted to ask was like, so the initial narrative you said changed. Like initially, what were you kind of planning on this to be? You know, it was a little more like nihilistic and punk rock. You know, kind of like a little more death tripping. Okay. Um. Uh, but you know, was, you know, I got, I want, you know, I didn't, I hadn't been uh, sober all that long when I started working on it, and I was, you know, I was younger, and um, you know, let's be honest, my initial interest in Peter Lochner was uh, part of that, you know, that that death narrative, you know, that yeah. die young thing. I mean, I don't know why that's appealing or romantic. Um, I don't advocate it per se. I'm not gonna like cluck my tongue about it either. And I kind of wanted to explore that, um, and I like to think I did, but I didn't want to, you know, some of the sort of the nihilistic edges. I was like, do I really want to work on something for years and just kind of say fuck you to people? Yeah. Or, you know, maybe I should say a little bit more. Um, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Because it is, I, th I think, like that kind of tragic end or whatever, knowing that a story is capped somewhere, like – it makes it more appealing in a way. Like, it, I mean, that's well, let's be honest. The only reason people talk about Peter Locker the way they do is because he died when he did. Yeah. It's not to say that doesn't undermine the quality of his work, but there's a lot of good work out there. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of like bands I like or musicians I like that I don't necessarily feel compelled to learn anything about them. I'm just happy to listen to their records. The work, you know, it's good music, it's good work, and that's that's fine. But there's a story with Peter. Yeah. That's yeah, yeah. There's an there's a starting point and an end point and like and it's frantic. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? It's it's chaotic. Um But then the story continues after he dies because it's like, you know, the, the dead boys record Ain't It Fun yeah. and Rocket for the Tombs gets back together. And, you know, I remember talking to John Morton about it, uh, from the Electric Eels when I was working on the book. And I was like, you know, the book doesn't end when Peter dies. There's a whole other part afterwards. And John said, well, good. That's what happened. We kept, the rest of us kept living. Yeah. So like, that way, like, you feel, you can't end it with his death because then you don't have that, because that vacancy he left behind and continues to leave behind uh, is part of the story, that the absence. He, like, remains a main character even after he's gone. 
And let's like people were really fucked up by Peter dying. They still are talking to these people. Uh, I think it was very, very traumatic for that for for a lot of the people in that scene. It just really fucked them up. Well, yeah, because it, it it seemed like something that, like, it seemed like everyone was like like living this kind of chaotic, all gas, no breaks lifestyle, and like to think, especially at that young an age, you know, I mean, to think that something like that could happen. And like, yeah, it was a cold cup of coffee. Yeah, yeah, and like, it, it, it's it's it, it was it's interesting because it's not like just like um, it's it, even though you kind of see it coming with how like how he was living and like how, not taking care of himself and then like not stopping, you know, you kind you see it coming, but like it's not like a. It didn't seem like a. I don't know. It's not like a. It's a, a direct. It, it kind of stumbles as opposed to like just stops. I guess in a way, you like know, his downfall. Like, <clears throat> for whatever reason, like pictures have been circulating lately of like Shane McGowan in the hospital, and uh, you know from the Pogues, and he just looks like a fucking mummy. Yeah. Uh, like I'm not trying. I'm not trying to insult the man. But no. But um, it's like how the fuck is Shane McGowan still alive? And like Peter Lochner died, you know, at 24. Cause it's important to remember that Peter didn't overdose. You know, yeah. anyone could overdose and die young with Peter. He just like, you know, we could say he drank, he drank himself to death, but there was also a lot of amphetamine used too. And I've heard that amphetamines and alcohol in excess combined are just even even worse. I mean, they certainly couldn't be good. But you know, you know what I'm saying. Like, how yeah. the fuck is Shane McGowan alive? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, was did Peter just get unlucky? Um, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't know if we can answer this. It's, but it's um, it's kind of amazing. Right. But the, well, that's the thing. We can't answer it. But like, that's why I guess that's why I'm trying to articulate. It wasn't like, it, it was like a slower, slower thing. And like, I, I, it, it is. It is kind of a or even a guy like Keith Keith Richards or someone you know who's done a shit ton of shit and you're like how are these guys holding up I mean I guess with him you can say it's money um but you know like well I mean, Keith Richards does not look like Shane McGowan you know like I, I think Keith Richards probably was able to I'm sure he had his pinnacle of excess and then was able to dial it back and I mean, Keith Richards seems like a functional person, you know? Yeah, that's true. That's like, true. Keith Richards has a reputation for drugs and alcohol, but, like, he's not, like, a fucking hot mess. If someone pays, like, $150 to see the Rolling Stones, I don't think Keith Richards is, like, like missing his cues and falling down on stage. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Shane McGowan would get brought out on stage in a fucking wheelchair just because he's such a goddamn mess. You know, the Stones are a functional unit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's, it's a very... That's a, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I definitely agree with that. It's But, yeah, it, it is... It is... And it's wild that it's only now, too, with Shane. Because, like, I saw that this morning, too. I was like... What's well, he's been that? in the hospital before. It was yeah, just that but, particular photo. I mean, I was just like, this guy's... I mean, he looked like death. Yeah. And he was such a vibrant young man, you know? Yeah. I mean, he was such a talent when he was younger. Uh, in a way, like, his living is almost more tragic than Peter's dying to see someone become such a shell of themselves. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe, I guess... Because, like, definitely kind of going back to Peter's story, the third part of the book is really when you 
see that legacy kind of take off and that flower kind of bloom into what, you know, what it is. And like, it's interesting because that's a really interesting comparison because for him, it's like living opposite, <laughs> like the see it decompose. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and one thing I want to like reading through the book, I noticed in like a lot of a lot of the images, there'd be the word bubbles and the life stinks, have a drink. And then like around the third section, uh, hot hook in. Like I, I, was, I was a really kind of clear like section change there. Um, you know, sometimes I just kind of go with the flow. Yeah. And it was like, okay, this is kind of its own section with its own style and its own momentum, like its own movement. It's a small detail that I kept noticing, but I loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Sometimes the uh, author is the worst person to, uh, to ask. <laughs> I don't think I don't so, know, that's, a, that's a cop out. <laughs> no, like it's totally fine to not like, but it was, I thought it was a very, it's a very light little t uh, texture change that followed the, like this whole like narrative through. The other part I really found like, like it, it, it's amazing to me. And I'd be interested to hear kind of your journey through like learning this is like reading this book. And like I would, I'd be getting through certain sections, and like then showing my girlfriend it, and being like, "This, how you place all the information on each page, and how how the characters are drawn, and like it's so emotionally like like with Da's death at the end, like that panel you bring it in, not to like spoil it for anyone, but the whatever, but like how it ends there is such a like." Like it that hits so hard and it hits so it's so beautifully drawn in like following this narrative like um, was that like and same with the uh, the Kent shootings and just even like getting to the end of the book and to like when Peter passes like you do an incredible job of emotionally conveying like text based narrative through these panels and these pictures and like I guess like like as far as like your journey learning how to draw and to take like a narrative that you wrote and like put them together in this way for the first time. Like, sure. I just feel like there's a lot of like, so to me, comics are the interrelationship between image and text. And like, I find it frustrating how little that is often explored and don't get me wrong. I've done against doing like a six or nine grid panel, like a traditional comic yeah. and that can work for certain storytelling uh, devices that were a more traditional kind of fictional narrative, like an adventure story or works very well for humor, setting up punchlines and pacing. But this is like the writing here is very um, narration based, like almost like a quote unquote real book, a traditional book, shall yeah. we say. So <laughs> the layouts kind of take inspiration from Art Nouveau and uh, psychedelic rock posters, which psychedelic rock posters, of course, have their own connection with comics because a lot of the underground comics artists were, in fact, poster artists. Uh, so I'm kind of, you know, working in that tradition. Um, but yeah, so like, and there's so much text, you know, I didn't want it just to be the same font and just like in these kind of rectangular caption boxes. I was like, if there's gonna be this much text, it has to be part of the composition. It has to be part of the art. It has to be inseparable from it. Um, does that answer your question? Yeah, no, definitely. Because like reading it, like there'd be times I'm like, wait, I missed the thing. And, and I would have to like 
turn in my book a little bit to see, oh, there's the word. Like, it's such a beautiful, like, emotional. It kind of demands you use two parts of your brain at once. Yeah. And, like, it, it, I, it's, I guess uh, what I'm trying to build up to, it's so well done. It emotionally delivers, like, the heaviness of some of those, pro like, some of those story narratives, like, DA's death and, like, the Kent shootings and, like, it's like, I, I, those are heavy topics, and I think you did an amazing job of delivering the seriousness and the emotional impact with your art. And that's, well, and I, th I think these people are worth honoring. And um, I didn't want to, I made, I make this clear whenever possible. You know, I was in no way trying to do an authoritative or academic work. You know, it's, it's highly subjective. Um, I'm practically a character, like I'm the narrator. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's, these things bother me, and I do think they're emotional, and I wanted to convey that without being uh, exploitative. Yeah. And I think you, I think that's what really hits home, like hits hard about this book, is like those, like, I, I, it's beautifully done. Like um, that, I, it's, it's, I've never read like a narrative like this. Like I've read some graphic novels that, like we'll tell like a like a like introduction books you ever see those little graphic novel books they'll be like here's an introduction to, to aristotle and it's all like yeah they're awful yeah 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 the information's great but the the image is like boring and like you know what i mean they're not great to look at and they're not like but you know okay all right here's his here's his life i get it like this is like the they're study aids yeah yeah, yeah. And that's fine. I mean, comics are a very good way to convey uh, information. Like, you know, I don't know if the military still doesn't, but for years the military would just be like, they do a comic on, here's how you clean your rifle, you know, or like, don't get venereal disease, or, you know, like, like how-to stuff. Like, because you couldn't just, you know, watch a YouTube video. So, yeah, comics, I mean, comics are very good. Comics can do so much. Um but I feel like, especially in North America, like there's like a rut. And, you know, people talk about cliches in relation to like mainstream comics and superhero comics. But I feel like there's just is a different, an entirely different set of cliches in so-called alternative comics, you know. And they've I'm just like, can we, you know, can we, can we try to do something else here? Can we try to push this a little bit? And there is, and don't get me wrong, there is experimental work being done. But you know it's not being seen by a lot of people yeah well and like i don't know in something like on like this grandeur like this is a 444 page book man like this is a, it's a beast it's yeah. a beast this isn't and it's like it like, could have been longer too i could have kept yeah. going i was like especially in part three i could have probably done another 100 pages but i was like i need to finish this you know was it a if had it kept going can i ask what would just dive more into okay so i regret not talking i mentioned them but i don't really get into the styrenes which was like kind of a, a band that sort of came out of mirrors and i really wish i talked about mirrors more too there's just not like a story with mirrors the way there is with uh electric eels or with uh peter's projects it's just like mirrors just kind of fell into the background and then that made it harder to bring up styrenes uh and styrenes were kind of complicated too they were like because they were always like had a different name and like they didn't have like a fixed lineup it was more like a 
project and a band. But then <clears throat> later on, Mike Hudson from the Pagans did stuff with Styrenes, which I think is really, really incredible. And nobody's heard it. It's like Mike Hudson was doing like, it's nothing like the Pagans. Mike Hudson's almost doing these like kind of spoken word things. Like, because Mike was a smart guy and he was a good writer. And he's like sort of telling these stories. And there's almost like this kind of like jazz music behind him. It's kind of beatnik-y. It's like beatnik noir. And some of it, there's a song called All the Wrong People Are Dying. It was the B-side of a 12-inch single. So, like, fucking nobody heard it. Like, a 12-inch single from, like, the 90s. But if you can find this song, All the Wrong People Are Dying, it's a masterpiece. It's just absolutely incredible. And I kind of regret not finding space to talk about that. Gotcha. Yeah, that sounds... It's, I'm definitely going to look into that. Like, It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. That's the no, magic I don't even of know YouTube, if... Um, <laughs> Yeah, I forget. Um, I'll see if I can find the link and send it to you. That, I appreciate it, man. Um, I, I think, like, the narrative you take and where it lands and where everything that you pay, I like, there's so much to tip the hat to in this story, too, and I think you do a really good job of, of hitting as much as you can along this narrative. Um, so even if it didn't get there, which would have been really cool to see, um, it's... I, I, it's I think you did an incredible job of making sure everyone was like at least nodded to. <laughs> I also wanted to talk about all the the mafia car bombings, but like it just it didn't. That did, I actually I did do a page that talks about it, uh, but it, I cut it. Okay. Peter actually referenced that stuff in uh, one of the uh, the longer version of it of um, amphetamine, but <clears throat> I don't know. It just didn't like really connect anywhere else. It just kind of like ended up like just seemed like a detour that didn't circle back. And I was like, let's just, you know, let's just leave it be. But that is a backdrop. That is an interesting backdrop that it was like when, you know, these early punk bands in Cleveland were operating, Cleveland led the nation in car bombings. I mean, it was like, I think, like, I think the only place in the world where there were more bombings going on was Northern Ireland. Oh my God. And it wasn't just the mafia stuff. Uh, and my friend Jay Kelly, my partner, he gets into that because um, he's doing an ongoing sort of true crime history of Cleveland. So he's kind of obsessed with the various bombings. Like there was one guy going around bombing porno theaters. Then, uh, of course, the thinker got bombed. I mean, that's a bombing too. So, I mean, bombs were just going off like fucking firecrackers in this town. It was insane. Like I, I, I was glancing at some of his books, um, Jake's. You'd like them, yeah. You should yeah. check them out. No, I'm definitely gonna check them out. I'm planning on picking up a couple, um, but like, that's fucking crazy. Like, that's, um, I, I guess like as far as like the kind of jump off that. How did you and Jake start working together? Um. I met Jake back when I was still living in Philadelphia. I kind of knew him by reputation. And then I met him at the first Genghis Con, which is the local, like, uh, small press comics fest. And uh, I'd see him every year because, like, I'd come in, I'd come into town for it. And uh, then when I moved back, we just started kind of talking more. And, uh, you know, naturally, um, that's pretty much it. So, like, I, I, who are some of your kind of early, like, comic guys like who are some of the art authors and artists that really 
like spoke to you to do this as your mode of expression? Well, you know, as a kid, I read superhero comics and all that. And then when I got into like my twenties, I discovered like underground comics and Dan Klaus, uh, eight ball, stuff like that. And that kind of really ignited, reignited my interest in comics as a young adult. Um, but yeah, I could ramble about comic book artists. I like, you know, till the, uh, to the end of the day was it well that's awesome man i i don't i really appreciate i appreciate your time and like i'm so i appreciate you writing this book like like the message i, I sent you on instagram like when i came across like this has been bumbling around in my head for a while like trying to I, and i clearly not as like i'm not as well uh adaptive of a, of a researcher <laughs> like um but like I've I've gotten like kind of pieced together some narratives through talking with like uh Richard Lloyd and, and Dave Thomas and like these rockers and like the Peter's character and story really, really intrigued me and like I kinda I kinda gave up on I was gonna put together like some type of like audio narrative, but I gave up when I couldn't get a hold of a Cheetah Chrome and uh, I, I tried to get a hold of him too. Yeah. yeah, I never I couldn't he didn't respond. I didn't try that hard. Uh, but he's, you know, I read, uh, he, you know, some people I didn't need to get a hold of that badly because Cheetah wrote his own autobiography. Right. And I was like, okay, you know, I've got, I know what he has to say about this. I have, have access to this. So I didn't really, you know, I didn't really press it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if there's people you want to talk to, give me a list and I can see if um, there's some people I might be able to put you in touch with. Oh man, I appreciate that. Um, and the other person that kind of, kind of like, it was like, oh, I'll, I'll, I'll revisit this was a, I got, I got an email from Richard Hell. Like I was going back and forth. Yeah, Richard. To... <laughs> he was like, "Did you get a hold of him? Do you have any luck talking with him?" He told me to go fuck myself. Really? Yeah. Oh my god! For real? Holy shit! Yeah, yeah. Oh wow! I wonder when did you? Because like I, I forget who I. Somehow I found some email and like he was like. He didn't respond. Then I found someone else who was like, I think a PR guy for him or something. And he was like, I, you know, I appreciate you reaching out, but like I wrote about him in my book. So, and I, I don't like doing interviews. <laughs> like was his whole thing. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Some of the stuff, um, some of the stuff in Richard's one book about Peter is really interesting. Yeah. Which I think was like for an article he wrote for Spin. Yeah. It was like cold and hot or something like, I can't remember. That's the name of the, one of the books. He's okay. got two books and he mentions Peter in both of them. Okay. Uh, the one is like maybe just like sort of like loose diary entries and the other is like a proper piece he wrote. The thing is that the fucking book doesn't like actually tell you like what each piece was originally published in or when. And I think like Richard is given like the wrong date and it's i don't know it's like a little bit confusing and i tried to find the actual spin issue and i like can't um and i don't know why that that's that spin article isn't viewed as a more um major text in relation to peter because yeah. it's got some interesting stuff um very like very uh like what's the word i'm looking for it's more of a character study it's not like like about like dates and facts about the bands and the recordings. It's more like the impression I got is like Richard came to Cleveland and just talked to people and just like got people's feelings and memories and impressions. So it's almost like a memoir, but um, secondhand, if that makes sense. Yeah. 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 It's huh. very impressionistic. You know, how accurate is it? I don't know. You know, I mean, that's why I try to give the sources in the, my own book so people can touch with themselves and 
you know, you know, what you can go crazy because I mean, what's true? You hey, know, that's true. <laughs> God, <laughs> what are we supposed to do? You know, like I like if I, even to write about my own life or someone, the life of someone I know have known my whole life. They could be like, that's not right. I don't remember it that way. I mean, you just have to, all you can do is be honest and have good intentions. I mean, there's more to that. You can't be, you know, you have to be diligent and not be sloppy. But, yeah. um, you know, there's never, I, let's put it this way. I'm not trying to have the final word on anything. So if anyone else wants to write a bigger and more thorough book about Peter Lochner, I encourage them to do so. What was it? Well, I also like, I I hope that this like encourages more just interest within it. You know what I mean? Like, and I think it, I think it will. And I'm super stoked to be seeing like just popping around the last couple of weeks, seeing your book everywhere. <laughs> like you're definitely in Cleveland, yeah, in Cleveland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that, I mean, that's the only place I'm going, but <laughs> I mean, we're, we've got it elsewhere too, you know, but um, it's, you know, certainly, certainly not as, uh, uh, and it's not like it's in a couple stores in New York, you know, and it's, it's, it's here and there. Well, is it, well, I hope like, I hope it just takes over, man. Cause it's such a good read and like you did an incredible job with it. And like, even if you don't like, there's enough characters from around every other scene to have an interest within it. And like being from Cleveland, it makes it even cooler. But being somewhere else, I think it would spark your interest into a void, as opposed yeah, it's to. It's not. It's not. It's not a local interest, uh, book. You know, I, or you know, I don't think it is. I think it's. You know, I mean, you can live in Wisconsin and read about CBGBs. You know what right. I mean? Or right. You can live in California and read about Jack the Ripper in London. You know, uh, just because it's Cleveland doesn't mean you have to live in Cleveland to like it. Yes. Um. And you don't have to necessarily even know who Peter Lochner is to enjoy the book, you know? Yeah, that's what's so cool about it. It's like it, it trails these two different – there's so many like kind of just like thought nuggets that are planted through this book that will make you think in different ways on like – like that. but like you're saying, like it, it doesn't it, – it follows Peter's narrative, right? But it's also like it's punk rock story. It's the DIY story. story. It's like these murder mysteries at times. It's like um, – it's, it's analyzing cities in completely different ways. It's so like, it's so much like, <laughs> it's badass. And so, but yeah, man, thank you so much, Aaron. Thank you so much for taking time to chat with me, um, and for making this book. This is badass. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me on. And uh, you mentioned the Beachland, so you already know about that, obviously. Oh yeah, I'm gonna be there for sure. Cool. Um, we'll be at the Grog Shop too. Um, yeah. Hold on, let me look at my calendar. Yeah, they, I don't know what it is. They got like a little kind of like DIY marketplace thing. I don't know if a Christmas or some bullshit. Uh, December 9th, 9 to 4, we'll be at the garage shop. Okay, I'm going to try to come to that one too because that would be I don't think Saturday. I'll be there. I don't think I'll be there at 9 in the morning, but Jake will. I'll, but I'll show up at some point, okay. you know, probably around 11 or noon or something. Yo, Spike Spiegel here. You just listened to Zig of the Gig podcast. Keep riding the bebop. See you, Space Cowboy. Bang. <laughs>